This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fasten your seatbelts for a roller coaster ride through the hearts, minds, loves, hates, thoughts, fears, hopes, and dreams of Irish adolescents and prepare to be amazed. Tigwich, August Falter, the Telling Tales. I'm Eva Flynn Fallon. And I'm Robert Kiley. And we'll be presenting today's programme. As always, it's all go here in Near FM, and with all of our stories and poems ready to go, yet again we can promise you another great programme. We can indeed, and as always, good luck to everyone who sent in a story or poem. Our presenter, Lee Heatley, will read a story written by her fellow pupil from St. Mary's Holy Faith Secondary School, Cluster. Love Is by Bridget Ward It was a dark and stormy night when the tall man wearing all black stood there watching the girl with the purple coat, red boots and brown, long, curly hair. Her name was Sarah. She was walking home from the park by herself when she thought she heard something. That's when she ran home. When she got there, her mom was standing in the sitting room, trembling with fear. Sarah's mom came running out of the sitting room, screaming, Where were you? Sarah replied, saying, I was in the park. Sarah and her mom don't really get along because Sarah's dad left them when she was a baby and her mom would talk about him to her. The next day, Sarah got out of her soft, cosy bed and got dressed into the nicest dress she owned. She was going to a birthday party. Her dress was light pink with spots on it. It was long at the back and short at the front. The party was great crack. There was pizza from Apache, the nicest pizza ever. There was loads of sweets and not the cheap ones. The party ended at 11 o'clock. It was very dark and she had to walk home by herself again. But this time she saw the man in the black clothes. But she didn't run because for some reason she felt like she knew him. She kept walking, but he just stood there. That's when she got a bit afraid and started to speed walk. Sarah got home about 10 minutes later. Her mom was asleep on the chair. There was a half bottle of wine beside her. Sarah felt real bad for her mom, but she still didn't really talk to her. A week later, Sarah was starting back school. She woke up late, so she had to walk with her mom. But her mom was sick, so she had to go by herself. It was very quiet and peaceful out. Sarah was walking by the green bush. She hates the bush because there used to be a rumour saying that a girl got grabbed and pulled into the bush. But it wasn't true. Suddenly, a hand popped out and grabbed Sarah in the mouth. She tried to scream, but she couldn't. She was too scared. Sarah heard a strange deep voice saying, Don't be scared. I'm not going to hurt you. She turned around. It was the man that had been following her. I'm your dad, but don't tell your mum, because she won't let me see you. Meet me at the shop at nine. I will bring you out, he said in his deep, dark voice. After school, Sarah skipped home. She was so happy and excited to meet her dad. She was singing while skipping. While she got to her house, she ran into her house and told her mum that she loved her. Sarah's mum hugged her back and told her that she loved her too. Her mum asked her, why are you so happy? Sarah had to lie. I'm having a sleepover in Megan's, she said. Then she ran up the stairs so her mom couldn't ask any more questions. Later on, she got dressed and she wore her black high-waist jeans, the ones with rips in the knees, a white long-sleeved top, black boots and her leather jacket. She met her dad at the shop. He brought her out for a nice meal. Then he brought her to the pictures. They went to see the Creed. Sarah loved it. She thought it was the best movie ever. Her dad asked her, 
did she want to go back to his house so she could see all pictures of them when she was a child. Sarah thought about it for a while. Then she said, yes, I'd love to. Sarah and her dad got back to the house. When her mom sent her a text saying, come home, she knew she had to tell the truth about where she was. She texts back saying that she was with her dad and she's in his house. Her mom texts back immediately saying, run and leave straight away. Sarah texts back saying that she's not leaving. She wants to stay with her dad. The next text came, Sarah's face dropped and that's when she heard the door close. The text said that her dad died in a car crash years ago. Sarah began to panic. That's when loads of smoke started coming out of little holes in the wall. That's when she saw the man in black walk into the room with a gas mask. Then she passed out. Sarah woke up in a room that looked exactly like hers, but it wasn't. It had something different about it, but she didn't know what. A voice started to talk. It was the man, but she couldn't see him. Then she saw all the cameras and the speaker in the room. She couldn't really hear what he was saying because whatever that gas was, she couldn't hear properly. She thought he said, you won't be alone for long, but she wasn't sure. Then he said, your mom is on the way. Sarah didn't believe him because she thought that her mom went to the police before she went to come get her. Later that day, her mom got thrown into the room. Sarah ran to pick her up and the door closed. Are you okay? She asked her mom. Her mom said, I'm fine. I think I know a way out. When the man fell asleep, Sarah's mom woke her up and told her, we are leaving now. Sarah jumped up with happiness. The door of the room was locked, so her mom opened it with a bobby pin. The two of them crept out of the room, went down the hall. The man heard them, started to run after them. They got into a room and held the door. There was an air vent in the room, so they crawled through it. They could feel the cool air they got out. There was a van. The two of them screamed. We're going to Chanel College to continue today's stories with a truly powerful account of a relatively recent event. The City That Never Sleeps by Jack Freeney. The year was 2001. I stood in the centre of Times Square. It was autumn and I could feel a mild breeze. I could see all the lights flashing around me from the big screens. The Twin Towers stood proudly in the distance. I was surrounded by people who were on their way to work or going to get breakfast. I could hear the hustle and bustle of people in a rush to get to where they needed to be. I noticed a man that stood out from the rest of the early morning commuters. He looked like he was in a rush and he'd gotten dressed in a hurry. He carried a briefcase, but there were papers flying out of it. He then disappeared into the crowd. Then I spotted a couple in the crowd that were having an argument. They were fighting over money from what I could hear. I think the man took some money off the girl without telling her. They broke up in the middle of Times Square. The girl got in a taxi. As it drove away, the man stood on the corner of the street, looking after her helplessly. Then suddenly, everyone looked to the sky and for a brief moment, New York stood still. That story kept me in suspense. So short, but as you say, Robert, really powerful. It's time for our first poem. What have you got for us today, Jamie? Our usual mix of brilliance and high-octane adventures, Aoife. And our first offering comes in from your school, Manor House Rohini. Lost Souls Matrix by Maeve Keating. I'm the lost soul. 
not two halves, but one whole. Though I am struck back together, part to piece, I know that I am not at peace. We are the lost soul, two halves of a whole. Soul not quite torn, jaggedly, one's what we were, two's what you'll see. We are the lost souls, four halves of two holes. As we are both two and four, we know what we are here for. And our next poem comes from St. Mary's Holy Faith Secondary School. Watching Lanterns by Wei Shang Wang. On the 15th term of the Ming Dynasty, my mother took me to see the festive lantern. The big palace lamp, bright red. Mary got round, always turning. Goldfish lamp, shake the tail. Peacock lamp, open peacock screen. Gold lamp, silver, lamp, colored lamp. One light and one light innumerable. We're going back to my school, a Lady of Mercy College Beaumont, for a poem asked the Fela Bialtine, Don Lian Augustrade, Ta Rosna Jarg, Ta Vilta Grum, Ta Sukra Milish Augustmarshina Tatu, Ta Rosna Jarg, Ta Vilta Grum, Ta Blahna Alon, Kusil Latse. It's back to Studio Tree for some more stories. Thanks, Cara. This next story is an extremely interesting take on the what if genre. It really makes you wonder what might have been. It well will cause the triumphs past by Dawa. My name is Paulig, it is 2016 and I live in Dublin. We thought that winning the war against the British back in 1916 was a good thing, the beginning of something great, ushering in a new era of peace, prosperity and hope, a free island. We were wrong. As victory was hard as won, a year and a half of struggle, only Pierce and Connie survived the carnage. Pierce was never the same again and were treated into the ward of his schools and his books eventually dying in 1925. Connie seemed almost more driven, more obsessed with national security and military power, determined to bid on proper support with modern society with communism. The new Irish government found an ally in Yenin and a friend in Stalin, so it wasn't a surprise when in 1926 a formal accord was signed and the red banner thrown beside the tricoil over the GPO. In 1944, on Connie's death, Control of Ireland's destiny passed directly into Soviet hands, with the rise to power of Yakov Stalin, eldest son of the Soviet leader. From that point onwards, any pretense that I was independent was dropped. Yet this did not seem to bother the commissars, who were happy to sing the Soviet anthem and to salute the new Irish flag, the Green Banner. In 1946, led by the German leader Kaiser Wilhelm, and the islands of many anti-European countries, Germany, France, Italy and the Iberian nations rose up against the Soviet Empire, fearful of being overrun and citing concerns about human rights violations. Great Britain remained neutral and deployed its forces solely to protect its own borders. Smashing Jovian by the Iron Fist, the rebellion was short-lived, brutal and futile. In the years that followed the annexation of Europe, Great Britain slowly and quietly armed itself while maintaining a facade of cordial relations under cover of trade routes to North Africa. Granted and pleased by the Soviet Empire, weapons were smuggled back to London and stockpiled against the inevitable. In the late 1950s, under cover of darkness, Irish Soviet troops invaded mainland Britain. The Bulldog proved no match for the bail. The British armed their forces and their king fought bravely. The campaign was almost medieval, fought in towns and fields, hand to hand, British courage sustained by the fear of what would be lost should they be defeated. Despite this supremacy in numbers, firepower and resources, 
This victory did not come easy for the Soviet Empire, but come it did. In 1963, despite his advancing years, Joseph Stalin himself travelled to London to oversee the execution of the British royal family, who stood accused and then convicted as enemies of the working class. Broadcast globally, this show trial was intended to intimidate and frighten. Simultaneously, as the firing squad discharged Soviet justice, another shot found its target and Stalin slumped to the ground, the eye flowing from his wounds. Yakov Stalin, now Premier of the Soviet Union, barked an order that the crowd be massacred. A small flame of hope was now swiftly extinguished. These events are covered in Soviet history, which began at school. My feelings about what happened were made my own. In 1963, my father was just three years old. I am now 16, and all I have known is the eye from an iron blanket. My great-grandfather was Connie's friend. He fought bravely beside him, and in 1916, he survived though his mind never fully recovered. I didn't know my grandfather, who was born in 1917, near the end of the War of Independence. He died in 1996, twice before I was born. This surely cannot be the eye my great-grandfather envisioned, for which he's fought so hard and yours so much. In the attic, I found a fragment of his proclamation, which I believe he had intended to read at a GPO, and I've committed it to memory. In this supreme hour, the Irish nation must by its valour and discipline, and by the worthiness of its children to sacrifice themselves for the common good, prove itself worthy of the august destiny to which it is called. I know that at the time my great-grandfather was committing treason, a crime then punishable by death. If the uprising had failed, he would have been executed and I wouldn't have been born. It was no longer just a thought, it was a wish, a cruel and dangerous one, that in 1916 we'd lost. Time for another visit to our Poets' Corner. Thanks, Robert. As it happens, I have a poem from your school, St. Aidan, CBS. Football by Morgan McCallion. Football is fun. Football is great. Football is the time I get to spend with my mates. The smell of the grass, the kick of the ball, the head in the net is the best of all. Following a team is the living dream. You would want to be a fool not to follow Liverpool. If you haven't tried, give it a go. You might just enjoy it, you never know. The Time We Have by Cara Curran-Beggs For every time I open that door, I can bet to see him there, running towards me with open arms, to show me how much he misses me when we're apart. For although he is young of age, he understands that some days I must go away, not for long though, only till the next fortnight. When we're apart, I feel a slight relief. However, we shall see each other soon. When we see each other, oh, fun it is. We play all night. We often play cars, action figures, all the things boys like. Although we have our arguments, trust me, there's plenty. Our arguments are pathetic. Who ate my sweets? I want to watch my TV show. Why won't you play with me? But these arguments are important to me. I know we will always make up. For he is my little brother, and I am his big sister. I feel our bond is strong. Although the time we have is limited, the time we do have is precious. I know the day he grows up, he shall play with his sister no longer, but I know that he knows he can always depend on me, for he is my little brother, and this is the time we have. We're off to Clash to do League next. Heroes by Rebecca Kerwin Heroes do not always wear a cape and have superpowers. Some wear average clothes and you call them ma'am. At least that's what I call my hero. 
My mum is such an amazing, strong and beautiful woman, who I would be nothing without. As I sit here and write, so many memories come flooding back to me. Some of the things that my mum does for myself and my older brother are just unbelievable. When my mum was born in 1968 and has been through quite a lot in her life. She always tells me stories about growing up and going to Cavan for Christmas and how much she misses stuff like that. When she was 23 years old, seven months before her and my dad got married, my mum lost the most important man in her life, her father. He was her hero just like she was mine. He passed away sadly on February 16th, 1991. My brother was born in 1994 on February 14th to be exact. I was born on the 24th of January, 1998. When I was two years old, my granddad on my father's side passed away. I don't remember him, but from stories I've been told, he was a good man. Someone my mom looked up to when her own father passed away. In March of 2002, my dad walked out and left my mom to pick up the pieces. She raised me and my brother on her own with no help from anyone. She taught us to respect people but speak our minds, and that is how I live my life. She gave up so much for me and my brother, and for that I will forever be grateful. She is truly the strongest person I know, and took on both the role of the mother and the father and never complained about it. When my mom and my dad were going through the divorce, she never hid anything from us. I will always remember growing up, I had a sign on my wall with the meaning of Rebecca. Rebecca meaning bound. Nothing can bend her spirit. My dad used to read this to me, but when he left, my mom picked up where he left off. My dad and I would have a pretty rocky relationship, which in the past couple of months has gotten stronger. However, I remember the first serious fight myself and my dad had. And I just remember coming in crying on my mom's shoulder blaming myself for everything that had happened between both my mom and my dad. She let me just stay there and tried to reassure me that it was not my fault. She's the person I go to about everything that's going on in my life. My mom has always taught me right from wrong, but still allows me to make mistakes and still supports my decisions. She can always see the fake friends before I can. I should learn to listen to her more about stuff like that. 99% of the time, she was right. She had never given up on me, or on my dreams, even when I have, she still believes that it can happen. She's not only my mother, but my best friend, the person I will forever look up to, the person who unconditionally loves me no matter what. I've always been told to fight for what I believe in, to never give up on what I believe in, sometimes that even seems impossible. We don't always get what we want in life, however, I'm blessed. I have everything I could ever need. I have the love and support of my amazing friends and family. And without them, I would be absolutely nothing. My mom is my hero. And if I'm half the woman she is, I'd be doing well. I don't think I could go through everything that she went through. And still come out smiling like she does. She is truly an inspiration. And without her, I would fall apart. Heroes do not always wear a cape and have superpowers. I call my hero, mom. Our next story is a poem. A poem? Yes, all poems are just a different way of telling a story. And this one is a real epic. Dublin City, 1.50pm, Sunday. By Emer Kelly. A man and his friend loudly comment on a passing woman's physique. But the black tar obscuring his throat and mind makes this an arduous task. And all that escapes is a brisk, nice 
assimilation is evident when the flocks of people all salivate at the rows and rows of capitalist displays, regardless of gender, of race, of age. The world is trained to look at the biggest number and call it stylish. It's cold. I need a coffee to heat my hands. A man was stabbed in a nearby hotel over money, I think. An ambulance just passed me by. The blue light doesn't do our complexion justice. The city light makes us look grey. There's at least 14 shops selling the same stuff and calling it couture. There's at least 14 shops selling the same stuff I can't afford. I told someone to go to hell earlier. Does God take that seriously? I'm sorry. I'm still cold. I saw a crowd of people surround a man's 14th gimmicky attempt to milk pop culture and make a living. I smiled. I saw a fight between a couple. Well, the woman stood stock still while he yelled abuse at her. I've never liked it when men raise their voices. It makes me want to yell back, but the words get stuck in my throat. She only flinched. I felt a little sick. I saw a man asleep. I saw a needle. My mother taught me what a prick of a hypodermic needle can do. It rained at some stage. He only slept. I saw someone fall. Someone behind me laughed. I kept walking. I passed through a group of tall men and felt myself curl in. I tried to speed up, but a traffic light stopped me. I saw red. I passed a charity bucket, a vaguely racist petition, a charity bucket, a church. I lost some money and tried to calm my breaths. I'm sorry for what I've done, who I am. I'm sorry I don't believe in God. I'm sorry I can't. I smiled at some strangers. I don't think it looked sincere, but I did. I saw another charity bucket. I don't have any change. And apparently, I'm also a pathological liar. I smirked at a teenage boy's comment about the phallic symbolism behind the spire. Dublin. Oh, Dublin. There's bullet holes in the buildings from 100 years ago. The city smells faintly of urine and cheap marijuana. It's still bloody cold. The city breathes and consumes us all. I love it here. I hate it. The tall buildings make me crane my neck to see the fine detail on the rooftops and miss the grime beneath my feet. The Liffey isn't beautiful. It's rank with bilge. It still gleams and shines. The buildings are mainly greying with age, but their character is what I love. Molly Malone's chest is eroding from human sweat. Dublin, I take you in with every breath. I am home. This heartbreaking poem comes in from Manor House. One Pink, One Blue by Rebecca Whelan. We were all excited, balloons in our hands, and chocolates for mummy that we will eat if we can. Time to meet the baby, or as we found out there were two, a boy and a girl, one pink and one blue. We knocked on the door, but mummy wasn't there, instead a young nurse who was fixing her hair. A concerned look on her face, she saw us and smiled. But the smile slowly faded when she pulled daddy aside. My daddy pushed past her to enter the room. I peeked my head sideways and saw mummy too. But the door was then closed and my granddad took my hand. I tried to ask questions but was told you wouldn't understand. A boy and a girl, one pink and one blue, their hands and feet were tiny but their coffins were too.
And our next poem comes from Sandy Aiden CBS and is written by today's presenter, Money, by Robert Kiley. Nothing life is free, everything you own and do, but the best things in life you can pay for because they are personal to you. You can never buy the things that will truly make you feel great. Like how would you feel playing football without having fun with your mates? So if you're ever feeling down about you being stuck or broke, just remember that your friends will always, always help you cope. We could all learn a lesson from that, Robert. Money isn't everything you can ever buy love and respect. Summer Happiness by Daniel One lovely morning I woke to find the windows open and up with the blind, the birds chirping and a nice warm wind both filling my ears, dogs barking with joy and glee, but outside it was not to be seen. If only I knew the joy it would bring to be in the sun or even on a swing. I'm only a fool and fools should know I'd only want to go out when it started to snow. Maybe I should go out and maybe it would bring happiness or hopefully something more than spring. Yes, I'll try, I'll go out and play. And when I first went outside, I really wanted to stay. I didn't come in when I was called. Oh God, no. I wasn't seen from then on until it started to snow. We've come to our last story of the day. Today's feature story comes from Our Lady of Mercy College Beaumont and is a vocative reminder of a loved one lost. Beautiful Memories by Caitlin O'Connor The aroma of fresh porridge and coffee that filled my granny's house on a cold Sunday morning. The chilly morning left my mother with a red nose and rosy cheeks as she bid goodbye to us and headed to work. But we were kept cosy with a red cotton blanket and a small gas fire that never let us down. The TV hummed from the corner as well as the pitter pattern of my small feet on the dark wooden floors. During the winter months we would escape up to her bedroom where her electric blanket kept us toasty. And we would spend the day in bed talking and watching her favorite TV shows, which still make me smile. She was wonderful. With a cup of tea, two rice cakes for her and one too many chocolate biscuits for me, we'd sit side by side. That's all I needed back then. She stayed calm and patient while I rambled on. She deserved the world and I'd like to think that's what we had in her little snug room. When she passed, I couldn't describe the loss I felt. It didn't seem real. How could somebody so strong just stop? It took a long time to get back to myself. Sunday morning just seemed a lot colder since she had gone. But I've realized something since then. She's not gone, not really. I still see her. I see her when her favorite game shows come on TV. I see her when I treat myself to a couple of biscuits now and then. I see her in my mother's caring smile and in my brother's witty grin. And I hope people see her in me too, because it would be an honor to be anything like her. Unfortunately, that's all we have for you today. I hope we got to your story or poem. If we didn't, better luck next week. Don't forget to check out the Near FM website for full details and a podcast of this programme. We hope you enjoyed today's programme. And will join us at the same time next week on Telling Tales, broadcasted here on Near FM. Today's Telling Tales programme was produced by Enda M. Roach. Our BC is Mila Rodriguez and the series is a Pearlman Media production for Near FM. So for myself, Robert Kiley. And myself, Eva Flynn Fallon. Until, Until next week, Slong of Fall. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.